Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. Good evening, everyone out there in radio computer land or whatever you're listening to us on. Welcome back to Hollywood Godfather podcast. And the threesome is here again. <laughs> and we have to congratulate Pat, all of us. If you were all listening, yell out the window or something. Pat <laughs> became place. a doctor on Friday. A doctor. <laughs> yeah, now, do we doctor. call you doctor from now on, sir? Just don't call me late for dinner, man. Okay. <laughs> no, but I, you know, for all, all the kids that are out there, especially the, the millennials, here's a guy who's still in school. I'm still. Yeah. Well, no, I was in school. I'm done, man. Well, on Friday. It's done now. Yeah, but, I, I mean, finished. the accolades and the diplomas you must have covers your whole house. <laughs> I, I, like I often said, I have more degrees than a thermometer. But <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't always like that. And, you know, from uh, lessons learned from you, uh, I mean, n nothing ever stopped you. Whatever you wanted to do, you did. And I'm basically the same way. And we've been uh, working together for over two years. But uh, when I, I, you know, you were a very sick kid. And you, uh, we you got past all of that. With <laughs> no, me, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, sick physically. I, I was, we, we, we won't go into the, uh, the mental part of it. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I was, was blessed kid, because I, I think was, the only I, reason I wasn't motivated to go to school, I was making no so much money. Well, there was no school to go to. You were in a hospital. Oh no, but I'm talking about even when I got out. I mean, most yeah. kids, even when they get out, would want to, if they needed to go to school, like I, I'm. I profess that everybody should stay in school. As you know, one sure. of the charities with the AAIB, we give in a, uh, inner city kids scholarships each year. And this year we're increasing them for, to 20. But uh, education is everything. Absolutely. Uh, I was told when I was a kid that I was slow mentally. You know, they had, they had uh, classes in New York City elementary schools Say so you, you were in the first grade, second grade, third grade, whatever it was. They started out with uh, the one class, the two class, the three class, and so forth. The one class was the smartest kids, and the sixth class were the kids that were develop, developmentally, I can't even say the word, so maybe I am developmentally challenged. I don't know. Anyway, uh, they thought that I had a learning disability, and I was always put in the, in the slow classes. And I believed it uh, when I got out of, uh, elementary school and started to you know progress to junior high and high school I embraced that description of me and uh, I just didn't give a damn about anything it took me I, well I was I was thrown out of two high schools uh, because of my academic grades and I was a I was a cut up and I was always getting in trouble nothing serious but I didn't care I didn't study I failed everything and I, I wound up going to my third high school and in that high school so you're supposed to graduate in June. I couldn't because I had lost so many credits in the other two schools. I, I just didn't make them up. I had to go to an entire summer school full time plus one extra semester of night school to get my high school diploma. So I finally get the high school diploma and I, I'm aimless. I have nothing to do. I mean, I, I've been told all my life that I wasn't college material. Uh, so I... You showed them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm worried, right. I sure did. But anyway, I, I cast that aside. I decided to enlist in the Army because I had no nothing to do and nowhere to go. So I uh, enlisted in the Army with a friend of mine. And you take a battery of tests. 
You know, so uh, one day, I mean, this is basic training. I was in Fort Dix. It was about two weeks into it. And uh, some sergeant calls me out of the day's training. I said, you know, jump in the Jeep. Uh, and I did. You know, you listen to whatever they tell you to do. And we went to this huge auditorium. And, and Fort Dix is huge. It's massive. And in that auditorium must have been about 500 recruit soldiers like me that were in the various uh, basic training companies throughout the base. And I said, what the hell are we doing here? And they said, well, they want us to enlist in West Point. I said, West Point? Wow. You know, I mean, you got to be a freaking genius, first of all. And second of all, I thought you're supposed to know somebody. And anyway, they, uh, they, they took each of us aside before they gave us the uh, indoctrination speeches. There was movies, there was uh, officers and whatever. But they said, you know, you scored with a genius IQ. Wow. I said, what? Because I was never tested. They didn't test you in, in uh, oh, yeah. the elementary schools in the 50s. Right. They just throw you in. And I said, what? Yeah, I had 140 IQ. And they said, you're eligible to go to West Point, and we would like to get all of the uh, eligible recruits in this room to t tell them what the, you know, what the point is about. Well, I was like I was hitting the head with a tree limb, and I didn't know, I couldn't, didn't know what to say. I just said, yes, sir, and I sat in the room and I listened. And uh, now... Uh, I'm beginning to get interested as they're talking. This was like a four-hour block of instruction and, and motivational speeches. And Anyway, I turned that down because after you finish your four-year en uh, enlistment, or rather your four years of West Point, uh, at providing the passive course. Then you got to go to the Army for eight years. Well, you're obligated for six more. And when you're 18 years old, six years is like a lifetime. Oh, yeah. Right. And it, I mean, even though I enlisted in the Army, I didn't know anything about it. I was only in the service for two weeks. But what they told me was that I was dyslexic. Huh. Uh, there, was no, there was no learning disability. I didn't know. They didn't know what the word dyslexia was oh, yeah. growing up. I can't, to this day, I mean, once you're dyslexic, you're dyslexic throughout life. What I have going for me is usually people of higher intelligence are dyslexic. Henry Kissinger's dyslexic, Einstein was dyslexic, I mean, the list goes on. And they they explain this all to me, but I've always had a problem with numbers. I mean, I can look at a series of three or four numbers, it doesn't even have to be extensive, and I, at first glance, I jumbled them. Hmm. I put the last number first. Reading uh, is also the same way, but not quite as bad. Hmm. But with numbers, I'm, I'm a disaster. I haven't balanced a checkbook correctly in my entire life, I had trouble dialing a phone. And that's why they thought there was something wrong with me. So anyway, obviously that wasn't the case, but I, I get out of the army and I was out a while and uh, went to the police department and I, now I knew how to work around it. Right. You know, right. intense concentration. You show me one successful author that's dyslexic and you'll see a picture of me because there are none. Oh, wow, I mean, that's wow. you can't write you can't write and be dyslexic. They're the two exact opposite in terms. And I mean, but I mean, I talking about you know uh, your uh, terminology of yes, you can. Right. Uh, you're the epitome of it, and I I admire you for that because I went through the same thing. I would not give up. That's you it. know, a, I was always an avid reader. The whole thing. You know, it's interesting that you saying this because um, I don't know if the audience knows I have eleven children. But um, I, I've, I've been renewed to something in, in the school system where they can't do that anymore with classes, you know. 
No, they can't. I know that. Because yeah. psychologically, it sets the kid back automatically. Mm -hmm. Well, it damaged me. I thought that I was stupid. Right. And, but the I other thing, too, even in the sports yeah. programs now, everybody yeah. gets a trophy. Well, that I disagree with. With who's good, bad, or whatever. I mean, I mean every, no one is geared for failure. This isn't real life. No, I mean, that's that's the sad part because yeah. when they wake up and find out they're really idiots, they're going to commit <laughs> suicide. <laughs> okay. No, no, you know, you have to teach a kid how to fail because you can't be successful unless you know how to fail. No, that's it. Everybody fails numerous times before they become successful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's just the way life is. But uh, this number thing has always upset me. I mean, I, I got by the reading. I mean, I was always an avid reader, but I have to read slowly without distractions. You know, but I go through at least two or three books a month. I'm an avid reader, but uh, it's it takes an effort, and but I enjoy it. So naturally, I do it, and I you know obviously I'm a writer. But the numbers always baffled me. So when I met my future wife, you know, where, I don't know where we were, some club somewhere, and I was introduced to her, you're gorgeous, as you know, Johnny, mm -hmm. a great looking woman. I said, what's your name? And we introduced ourselves, and I said to her, what do you do? She said, oh, I'm a CPA. And I said, I love you, marry me. <laughs> <laughs> so That's a great combination. Now you got it all. Well, and the plus part is she's hot, and uh, you know, I really do love her and all that, but it, uh, a, a CPA, that's like Getting married to somebody who owns a liquor store. I mean, come on. No. You know, <laughs> if you were drunk, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you remember Dean Martin's uh, definition of a, pr a perfect wife. What was that? That she's... Um, oh, okay. Mm. Perfect wife. Gorgeous. Dumb. And a father owns a liquor store. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Only yeah, so Dean anyway, uh, that's why I, I have a lot of empathy right from the get-go with you because of what you went through and i'm thinking what i went through people making fun of you and uh, you know ridicule and and that, that's when i decided you know you always ask me well how come you're always going to school when i got out of vietnam then now that i i knew what i had and i could deal with it i said uh, nothing's going to stop me i'm going to get every kind of degree i could possibly get i was 72 years old i peaked out i mean i i've got four degrees and i can't go any further well, yeah, I you mean, know. yeah, no, that's it. I didn't uh, know you were seventy-two. You look so young. <laughs> well, I chose my parents very carefully. You have to do that. <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, it's uh, well. Congratulations, doctor. Well, thank you, sir. Thank and you, I man. wanted our audience to know we now have a doctor on staff. Yes. Okay, so do. if you get sick, don't yeah, call me. <laughs> but I, I heard you're doctor. very good with mouth to mouth. So I mean, there I, you go. <laughs> I want the other parts, but then again, that's another okay. story. We we'll yeah. start from the head. All anyway, right. Um, <laughs> What are we going to talk about? What can we entice our audience with today? That is part oh. of well, as you and I were, were, were speaking about the yesterday before the show, you know, uh, there are other gangsters than Italians. Did you know that, Gianni? Oh yeah, I know. Believe me, I know. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. A lot of people don't, and uh, I had some experience with a gang called the Westies. Uh, well. So did you, buddy? Uh, man, my friend. Okay, I, it's uh, for those of uh, listening audience who don't know what they are. There's a group of young men. I mean, really young. Some of them were in their early teens and up to their like mid twenties. They had a reign of terror on the West Side, an area called Hell's Kitchen, yep. which is now called Clinton. Excuse me, Hello. but uh, <laughs> back in the day, it was a tough neighborhood and it ran on the West Side from say, what would you say, like 
Seventh Avenue, well, Eighth Avenue or, or Broadway to the river, to the Hudson. Right. And from 34th to what street north? Like 60 something? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, so they, they a, really a, had no boundaries because I met the Westies early on because they were always down in the Ravenite with Mr. Gambino. Well, they were trying to uh, curry favor with the Italians. Well, they did. and I know they did. It worked out very well. Well, the Italians, when they didn't want to do some heavy work themselves, I mean, not, not lifting anything, but, uh, <laughs> and they didn't, want, you know, they didn't want to cross a rival family in the, in the, in the boroughs, because as we, most people know now, there were five crime families before all these other people came into the world. But um, the Westies would volunteer to do heavy work and beat up people, kill people, do whatever. Mm. And heavy collections, too. I know, you know, it was a very cohesive group. It was a very tight neighborhood. I worked in uh, Midtown North, which was a precinct on West 54th Street. And I mean, that the area was replete with Irish gangsters. And it was like, it was uh, an Irish version of Chinatown. Nobody would talk to the police. Oh, Even yeah. if they weren't involved, average people would not talk to the police. You couldn't get anything out of anybody. Hmm. And these people did, you know, there was a bar every other storefront. And when we would get off duty, uh, I worked in the tactical patrol force. We'd get off at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we still had two hours to uh, hit the bars because the bars closed at 4 a.m. in New York. Right. And no matter which bar you went to, there was always some kind of a gangster element there. There was a place on 9th Avenue called Cocon's Green Berade. It was the 596 Club. All kinds of, all kinds of clubs. Jimmy Coonan, uh, who you may know. He was the man. Oh, yeah, he was the man. He was the man at like 25 years old. Oh, yeah. Well, and, right behind me, that's interesting you should mention yeah. Jimmy because Jimmy groomed Buddy Leahy and all them. Yeah, he did. Uh, and everybody admired Coonan. Mm. Uh, they would follow this guy through the gates of hell, except when he started to cozy up to the Italians. And that's when Coonan thought he was Italian. And he, well, he, he wanted to be. I mean, it's like so many other be. people because yeah. he, he knew their strength. And, exactly. Uh, I, you know, a couple of my friends that are not Italian, but they'd do anything, and they did do anything, and uh, just to be a part of that world. See, as as we all as we're speaking about the Westies, they they, they had unions. They did. I mean, tough guys, and yeah. well respected, but yeah. they didn't have the accolades of and the dress and the mannerisms. So you know, they they and they, they weren't getting the girls other than their. Mm -hmm other than their own in their neighborhood. Yeah, they weren't under control. They were wild men. Right. And that's yeah. what uh, that's what the Italians didn't like about them. But they, if there was some dirty work to do without it bouncing back to them, you call the Westies and they would do it. Oh, yeah. These guys didn't even want to get paid. Well, they wanted, yeah, they just wanted to be, you know, be friendly. And the other thing that, uh, the, the, as I heard, as just being a fly on the wall, the main reason that they really couldn't get to where they wanted to go is because they drank so much. Mm. Oh, dra and, drinking and they were afraid of how their tongues would get loose. Oh yeah, and, and the alcohol, and that's one thing you know. Well, that was the start of it. Then uh, you don't mix alcohol and coke and expect to keep your mouth shut. You you, you don't take a, a vow of silence if you're doing coke and and you're drinking. You talk, 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 and exactly what you're saying. Right. You know, uh, these guys couldn't be trusted. But what they wanted to do was uh, unseat the, the old Irish that were there, a guy named uh, 
Mickey Spillane, they murdered him. Right. He was extremely well thought of in that neighborhood. I mean, he would pay for weddings, and uh, and everybody loved him in the neighborhood. He had to go. No, these and new was, kids wanted, wanted the power. Yeah. Uh, was, did you know a b- bookie or hear of a bookie there named Ruby Stein? No. A Ruby Stein was uh, a big bookie in that area. Also very respected uh, by everybody. He's Jewish, but very well respected by everyone. Coonan. And his crew killed these guys, and not only killed them, humiliated them. Uh, they, they, they cut off, I don't know whose head it was, I think it was Ruby Stein's head, and they put it in a bowling bag, and they oh, put geez. it on the bar in a 596 club. Wow. Oh. I mean, for everybody to you know, you know, throw it around. and I mean, this was total disrespect. A guy named uh, Mickey Featherstone, you heard the name? Oh, yeah, Featherstone, I know well. Uh, Featherstone mm-hmm. was about six, seven years younger than Coonan, but looked up to him like he was a god. Uh, and he perjured himself in court for Coonan. They they killed numerous people. Mickey Featherstone, at about 21, 22 years old, was already locked up for two murders. Wow. He beat one on an insanity plea. Uh, a total lunatic. Uh, he went to Vietnam, told everybody he was in the Green Berets, but he was not. He was a driver. He, was, uh, he used to drive a truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and... Uh, his uh, his his lawyer, a guy by the name of Hockheiser, uh, was just starting out at the time, and he was Featherstone's attorney and his partner. I forget what his partner's name was. They represented uh, Featherstone with all his arrests. There must have been thirty of them over the years, and because they got him off on that homicide, uh, it well, increased their, their business. Now every it. wise guy in New York was going to these guys. Sure, uh, well, that's what all these guys did. I mean, we we saw them all. You know. Uh, that's what they wanted. They get win one big mob case or a murder case, and there's there's your there's your career as a lawyer. Exactly. Now, right. Featherstone was a really violent psychopath. Uh, fast forward to the late '80s when the, the, the Westie started to go under because of Coonan's lack of leadership, and he moves out of Hell's Kitchen, buys a palatial estate in New Jersey. That was his first mistake. Uh, but uh, uh, Featherstone turned against him, and he actually flipped, and nobody ever thought, nobody saw that coming. Oh, wow. Uh, and he testified, he put a, put a lot of these guys away. Uh, Featherstone straightened out, he went in the witness protection program, uh, he's married with four kids, of course no one knows where he is, no one's supposed to know where he is, but he holds down a job. still alive, you think? Pardon me? Do you think he's still alive? Oh, he's definitely still alive. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, uh, mm. he he holds down a job, never got in trouble from the late 80s to today. He's a different person. He actually changed. Well, you know, I, I had I had a personal run-in with them, which uh, I, I did a favor for John Gotti. Joe Watts called me up and he said, they're, they're opening a new club. You may about Well, you were on the, on, the, on the beat yet, so you know about what I'm about to tell you just from the newspapers, if not in your precinct. Yeah. But they opened a club called Bankers and Brokers on the oh, West. Oh, that's downtown. Yeah, sure. Yeah, And they yeah. brought me in to open it up for them right after The Godfather. So I brought my band and everything else. I, I ate there quite a few times. Great steak, seafood. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, the, um, the people who built it, four of them were killed rather than get paid. What? Yeah. And the Westies did it for them. Oh my and the, there was a guy named Sullivan who was a uh, union rep of the Carpenters Union. 
right. that was working uh, on some kind of a project with bankers and, and uh, brokers. They beat him to death. He, he started to butt heads with the Gambinos, and the Gambinos sent the Westies after him, exactly. and they botched the job. They shot him up. They shot oh, him yeah. like four times. Oh, my but gosh. He, he, yeah, he, uh, Irish guy. must have been drunk. The bullets bounced yeah. off him. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he lived to testify, and he did testify. What's the funniest thing? Because when I went back to California, the FBI came to see me, and um, they started questioning me about this. I said, hold it. I'm, I'm a performer, and I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, exactly. I said, I went into, I did the opening night there for them. For that, wow, that, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And there was, every regime was there. I mean, Carlo had every every five family guys, all the Westies were there, and uh, it was insane. And then all these union problems, like you just said about that, the, uh, the Delegate Carpenters Union. Yeah, it was either O'Connor or Sullivan, I forget his name, yeah. but yeah, a lot of trouble, uh, yeah. But then uh, it goes back to our other friend, Joe Coffey, which, you know, uh, Joe. this guy. And uh, he, you probably, uh, were you in his division? No. Oh, okay. I just knew Joe from socializing. But uh, before the Westies were even on the map, nobody cared about a bunch of Irish kids in Hell's Kitchen. They were concentrating on uh, Italian organized crime. And Coffey was assigned to investigate the Westies. He did not want to do it. First of all, they weren't called the Westies. They weren't called anything. That's how disorganized they were. Hmm. And there's organized crime and there's disorganized crime. And these right. kids were disorganized. They just wanted to raise hell, kill people, and cut them up. They loved cutting up bodies. But you know, as Joe Coffey, being an egomaniac, he loved the, and the acclaims and the accolades that he named them the Westies. He did. Well, that, <laughs> I was there the night. I mean, no, I, I, I don't know who was used before this. But interview. That's so funny. They they were digging up. There was a tip that the Westies were uh, b burying their bodies uh, under the West Side Highway, uh, which those of you who don't know abuts the Hudson River. It's a, it, to this day it's sort of a deserted area. It used to be worse back in, in like the seventies and eighties. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just warehouses, uh, you know. Well, at that time, fog. all that was abandoned warehouses. Well, I mean, uh, I know of some people they discarded. Yeah, oh yeah. You and, and basically, in a week, the rats were eating them up. Oh. Yeah, well, that's why uh, the the police thought that, well, you know, this is probably uh, a valid tip. Because what a perfect place to bury people. No one even walks around there. I yep, mean, yep. And, and, so Coffee was uh, in, in charge of it. We had these, you know, and uh, I was there to, to uh, look for evidence and hold back crowds and that's what TPF did, Tactical Patrol Force did. Anyway, there's Klieg lights all over the place because this was like a 24 seven uh, operation. Right. So the press gets a hold of this. It was supposed to be quiet. Somebody made a call. I wonder who that was. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe and of course, uh, uh, Joe Coffey, front and center with the microphones and, and the lights. And let me tell you, he loved it. Uh, he loved it. Uh, look good, the guy looked good. He was a handsome guy, dressed well. Six how five. He, yeah, how wow. he could afford those suits. Jeez. I'm still trying to figure out. Uh, hello. I mean, yeah, well, dress, <laughs> he had a hook on Hopcha. What was his name? I, I know where he got his suits early on. Uh, um, something Marks or two names. Hot Shafter and Marks? Yes, that's where he got them. Okay, well, good. I don't know if they're still around. I think they are. Oh, they're quality, quality, yeah. quality oh, suits. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not Italian cut. You know, they're like British cut. Right. Excellent. I mean, back then they were $2,000 a, a pop, which is on a cop salary. Man. 
No, I got anyway. to I got to know Joe and his new wife. They actually traveled with us. Mm. I mean, he was invited because you know they wanted to be around this guy. And yeah. especially, well, you know, he was the guy that took down John three times. And then, yeah. and then the final time he got him yeah. down. God, he, if you, he you don't do it right the first time, keep trying, yeah. man. You'll yeah. get him eventually. But Joe is is giving uh, a uh, uh, an interview to the press. I, I recall it was at night. And he comes out with, yeah, we've been trying to uh, look for evidence. He didn't say the word bodies. Uh from the Westies gang, and you know, right away the reporters, who are the Westies, 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 sure, nice before you know it, that's the name. Mm. It's the Westies forever. didn't even know they were the Westies. Yeah, I know. No, it but took the, them a the while wildest to, to, thing to is that, that Like you're saying, uh, uh, I went to a couple, they used to have wild Christmas parties. On Christmas Eve, you can go to the West Side, nine o'clock in the morning, oh, party and time. Cooney, all of them had their own big party, already going until, until the midnight. <laughs> Yeah. And the, and the guys envelopes they get, people coming in 10,000, 5,000, they shut down everybody. Oh, everybody. Had, Nobody was safe. No. They had a couple of hundred grand at the end of the night in the corner of the bar on the table. But it's people bringing the cash. Nobody oh, ever robbed them down gosh. there. But these guys were really ballsy. I mean, they they would kill you for no apparent reason other way, uh, other than oh, they yeah. were disrespected. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, anyway, uh, Coonan's doing, doing life. He's never getting out. Uh, uh, Featherstone testified against most of them, and he got a walk. He got time served, and uh, everybody said uh, that he, he, you know, he was going to join him in a couple of years, but he never did. He straightened out. I got that firsthand. He's doing well. Oh. Uh, his wife, Sissy, saved his ass basically because he was framed by Coonan for a homicide he did. He, he did not commit. So uh, she was his alibi. Uh, well, she wired. She got wired, and she talked to, to uh, you know the everybody was allegedly friends there, uh, but toward the end everybody was figuring everybody's talking and flipping, but nobody ever expected Featherstone to cooperate. So Sissy went around talking to to uh, uh, Mickey's friends, and they're so coked up that they talked and talked and talked, and because of her and the the chance that she took, he got sprung. On that homicide after after conviction, wow! Mm. And he he got he was doing some heavy time. I think he did like a year, uh, but she but she but she sprung him, and that's what turned his life around. And in, in in my opinion, that was the trigger. They what the, what am I doing? Well, it's the same to, thing when you think about yeah. it. Uh, um, I don't know how many people realize who Sammy the Bull is, Sammy Gravano. But Sammy was a loyalist, man. This guy, like uh, the only other guy I know who's been around that life, is Joe Watts. He wouldn't flip on anybody. He's a man's man. And he's the only one when it comes down to it. Oh, now, right? Yeah, he's the yeah, only yeah. one yet. Yeah. But, uh, and the only, what I was going to say is, the, the way the feds got Sammy to flip is because of John's big mouth saying he's going to, we should whack this guy, he's getting crazy. And when he heard that on the tape, they played it to him in a cell. I know, yeah. He heard that. He couldn't believe it. He he would do anything for John Gotti. And to hear John Gotti say, kill Sammy. And, and for no apparent reason. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, and oddly yeah. enough, uh, Megan, they were they were sharing. They weren't in the same cell, but they were in, in, in the same jail. They were same at MCC, yeah, MCC. Mm. downtown awaiting trial. <clears throat> and uh, John... Uh, Gotti saying all of this behind uh, Gravano's back because they 
they're socialized every day. They're in the same jail. Right. right. And at, and when, when Gravano wasn't around, Gotti's plotting his demise. Oh. So Gravano was basically, he flipped because he was pissed. And, oh, yeah. and actually, if he wanted to live, he had no choice. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you hear that, I mean, it's, for, it's fortunate for me because a lot of listeners don't understand this either. If the feds or even, I, I don't know if it is this in the, you, you could tell me firsthand. Uh, if uh, a police officer or they're bugging someplace mm-hmm. hears that somebody's going to kill you. Oh, they tell you. They have to come. Okay, I didn't know. And they do. They well, do. I know. The FBI, I knew that because I've been told two different times that they overheard that um, there's a contract on me. Oh. And, and the first oh. one was after the Colombo. Oh, yeah. Well, didn't you sort of expect that mm-hmm. when your seat was vacant on the dais? Well, I know. That's, that's <laughs> a, I was supposed to be there, but I didn't know the protocol. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's it's wild because my ego, I wanted to do the red carpet for The Godfather. I just started this great movie. And I figured, you know, how am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. Because they were already looking for me. Oh, man. Now, that's a story. The FBI came to me and said, you know, I wouldn't go to New York, and I'm saying to myself, I'm going to New York. I yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and I did, and that's when I tried to hire Joe Bellotti, who was a marksman, Tommy Bellotti, if you know the name Bellotti. Tommy Bellotti was my best man, and he got shot down in front of Sparks with Paul Castellano because he was a private bodyguard and driver. Mm-hmm. Because the biggest mob hit in history. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and with that said, they came to me, and I'm saying to myself, if I played this right, and I did, obviously I'm here talking about it. Right. But I wanted to have Joe Bellotti, I figured, with all these superstars coming out of the cars that night. We, you know, they closed off Broadway. Oh, 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 for the, uh, for the premiere. For the premiere of The Godfather. Right. Okay, yeah. So I figured when I get out of the car, because, you know, I think I was number 28 in a limousine. Mm-hmm. They had yeah. Kissinger, <laughs> they had everybody. Yeah. So I'm saying, number 28, does that mean my car is 28? I said, yeah. And, and at the time, uh, Merv Griffin was broadcasting live on one side of the sidewalk of the red carpet, mm-hmm. and the other side was Army Archer for uh, um, Variety. And now you have like, to make the, the listeners understand that the, you know, this is like old Hollywood, have, having one of these type premieres. Oh Nobody God. did this anymore. No. Right. With the Klieg lights yeah. and yeah. the mob. I mean, it was insane. The mob people, not the mob mob. But yeah. the crowds. <laughs> yes, the, the amount of people. Have to define that. But all the crowds, and I'm yeah. so I'm saying, I, I I know I can make this happen. I'm, I'm well. If you read my book, Hollywood Godfather, that Pat and I wrote, you'll see how many times I, I like the adrenaline and the excitement. So I figured I could outsmart them. So what I did do, I came in, <laughs> and I didn't stay at the hotel where they put me. I stood at the Warwick Hotel because it was in between. The Ritz Call, I mean, the uh, St. Regis, where our party was after the after party, mm-hmm. and Broadway. And I could do this walk myself in disguises, and nobody would know me. <laughs> so I, I did go with the red carpet at my car, and I jumped in my car around the corner, and I had this whole thing set up. And then Joe Bellotti, like a couple of days before, he said, Johnny, this is insane. I can't do it. I'm looking at the weather report. Well, you have to you have to tell them what you wanted to do. Oh yeah, so I wanted to have Joe Bellotti, who's known as a marksman, a great hunter, and all that, and I wanted him to shoot me 
when I got out of the car. You believe this, Megan? <laughs> this is a true story. You're insane. I swear to God. No, Megan, <laughs> this is no. true. So I figured, shoot, shoot, shoot me in the leg. Oh, you know, I should, my you know, Shoot me in the arm, the leg, what or something like that. It's a little flesh wound. On, no, but I'm on national television. Mm -hmm. Two networks were carrying it. Tell they them who were, your date were, was. My doctor, I brought my own <laughs> Just in case. Dr. Theodore Jacobs. Yeah. Because I figured, so then oh in the last ditch, Tommy says, I'm not gonna allow you to do this. Then his brother came to tell me, and, and you, you're into ballistics yeah. in your profession. Yeah, yeah. and said, we, wrote it, we wrote it up very well in the book. I mean, Joe was saying, look, Gianni, first of all, see a psychiatrist. Second. <laughs> yeah, right, get some yeah, help. If, if you, if you wanna go through with this, let me explain to you what, what ballistics is about. First of all, this isn't a handgun. This is a rifle. That the, the round is traveling at tremendous speeds. No matter where you get hit, if if I hit you in the right spot, like wing you in the leg, this is from a rooftop across the street. You're talking a 500 yard shot. You know, he says, if 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 the wind is blowing, if a raindrop hits it's this okay. round, right, it's gonna uh, it you know, it, if it's off a fraction of an inch, I'm aiming for your leg. We can hit your femoral artery. You can die. I can go for your shoulder and hit you between the eyes. He says, I'm a good shot. But I'm, I'm, you know, oh, man. you have to take into consideration the distance of the shot, the power of the weapon. Then he comes to his senses. Yeah, I figure. Well, thank yeah. God. Yeah. You know, at 26, I'd want to die. Yeah. yeah. Thank God that. Not quite. But yet. on the other hand, you're also at 26. You think you're indestructible. No, but the inter, inter, but that's how I knew of of these kind of things, and and you know, that's when they when they sat down with Sammy in his cell. And played him that he couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. Played him that tape and yeah. was it's. Uh... Well, it, it only takes one. What you know the disappointment with when it, with with the Featherstone versus uh, Coonan, Gravani Gravano versus Gotti. These two guys, Featherstone and uh, Gravano, worshipped their bosses. Worshipped them. Oh, I know. And when something like this happens, it's a tremendous blow to their ego. Plus, there's got to be a big psychological set going on here about uh, father figures, the, you know, uh, betraying you, uh, and they just flipped. You know, what other recourse, you know, to, to really hurt the person who hurt you? Mm. And the similar thing that happened that, uh, I'm, again, I don't know how I was a part of this, but I knew all about it, mm -hmm. is that when uh, they called in Tony Spilatro, and Tony Batts said, call him in. We got it. This is getting crazy. And, in Vegas, and and yeah, and uh, he didn't at first. And Sam Gene Connor, that everybody thought he was the boss, they took him out. They killed him in the summer kitchen in the basement. Friend of his walked in and shot him. Oh. It was cooking sausage and peppers. Yep, exactly. Oh no. Yeah, the old sausage and peppers uh, uh, assassination. <laughs> Oh but, my you know, gosh. Uh, but, I mean, you know, that's like Bible uh, Hickok's uh, Aces and Eights. Well, now it says that sausage and peppers will get you dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, but I mean, when you start to analyze it really inside, of, yeah. like you're saying, the loyalty and the devotion, these young guys, yeah, and they, they, they adore their, their leader, whoever it may be. And, and John was a tough guy to follow because he was a, a, an egomaniac, as, as I am. A, a degenerate gambler, so they can never give him enough money. He always needed more, because we used to say in the neighborhood, whatever John is betting, bet the other way. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, I remember you saying that.
That's funny as hell. I mean. That's funny. But the Westies, I think, you know, what what are you hearing on the street now other than the unions? I think they calmed down a lot. Yeah, there, there is no uh, uh, gang anymore. They're all gone. They're all, first of all, they're either dead or in prison. They either killed each other. Uh, there, there was no outside hits there. They killed each other. Oh, I know. Uh, or, they're in the, or they're doing prison for life. No, there is no Westies anymore. Clinton, uh, you know, you, you go to the... Uh, up to the people who live in that area now, and you talk about what we're just talking about, they laugh at you. I mean, it is totally gentrified. Mm. I mean, the, you know, the old, like the old uh, 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 tenement. Uh, the, the, these these apartments are renting for two, three thousand dollars a month now. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, you know, I mean, it's insane. Uh, no, but there's no there's no organized crime there anymore. There's no God knows there's no Westies. No Westies are their history. Mm. Well, even even the city. I mean, as I knew the city years ago, I mean, it's infiltrated by so many. I mean, even, look at the, uh, what MX thirteens. I mean, there's so many people to fear out there. You don't even know. You couldn't even make a phone call to try to straighten it out. You don't know who to call. Yeah, no, exactly. It's Between the Albanians, the Russians. I mean, everybody else is involved. It's crazy now. What's well, up? But the Italians knew what they had with these. Uh, with these Irish kids. Oh my God! They, they do exactly. They they had a meeting in uh, Tommaso's. You know Tommaso's. Oh yeah, sure. In, in Bessenhurst, uh, uh, Castellano personally summoned them. And Castellano was at the meeting. Coonan and Featherstone uh, went to this meeting thinking they're going to die, but but they had to go. They had to, they had to take the chance, uh, and they figured, you know, we're not going to get shot in in the restaurant. But when we leave, maybe who knows? So they hatched a plan. And their plan was they armed their guys to the teeth. And I mean, these guys had automatic weapons, they had grenades, and they're parked right around Tommaso's. And the the instructions were by Coonan, if we're not out in two hours, come in blazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. They were in there two hours, and Coonan is looking at his watch. He's, oh my God, these freaking guys are going to come in and shoot the place up. So they hastily excused themselves. They went outside and they just cut it off. Wow. But Castellano. Uh, I never met the man. Did you meet him? You ever meet him, Johnny? Paul? Yeah. Shit, I used to hang out with the guy. Okay. Well, oh, he the was, only they, they reason said, I did, I like I like Paul. I yeah. mean, he was well. Don't forget, prior to becoming the boss, this guy was a brilliant guy. I mean, Jesus. He was a legitimate businessman in many aspects. And, and well, just he sold his business to Pardue Chicken. That's. So, I mean, this guy was a legitimate guy. Mm-hmm. I'll, I I'll tell you a funny very, story. Very, very polite and... and, uh, oh, and my, uh, a gentleman. No, he was gentleman. the old school. But the interesting yeah. thing, I did a favor for a friend of mine. Uh, they opened the Copa when the Copa closed here and everybody was gone. They they took the name and took it to Brooklyn. And they opened the Copa. Yeah, Carmine's Copa. Yeah. Carmine was there. Yeah, Carmine was there. And um, a Tony Belisi, it was a member there and all that. So I did a weekend. So Paul Castellano had a loyalty to me and Tommy Bellotti. He took the whole club on a Sunday night. I figured there's not going to be anybody there right. Sunday, Sunday night. Yeah. And um, so I call and I, I called. Uh, you know, come on, it's coming. How are we doing? He said we're sold out. I said what? <laughs> he says yeah. He says um, a friend of yours is coming. He took the whole club. So I now, tell you, I wonder how I was. I was in the Carmine's Copa many times. I wonder how many times you and I passed in the hallway. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, well, I was. I, I was the guy who said, "No, I'm not a cop. Not me. That was me." <laughs> that would have been funny. No, but this is a funny yeah. story because yeah. uh, Tommy Bellotti calls me, 
And he says, you know, I'm coming there tonight. I'll be with my wife, Kathy. He's, but my girlfriend is going to be with her girlfriend on the other side of the table. Because he, he no, they, they controlled all the tables. They were everybody was sitting. Mm-hmm. She's, but I want you to play it up to her because I told her we're close friends and all that. And mm-hmm. Maybe whisper in her ear, Tommy told me to sing to you. And because he's sitting with his wife across the hall, you know, <laughs> the same, same stage. Was that Terry, the Alessio? No, I wish it oh. were. Okay. Now, you know, well, maybe it was, now that you said it. Yeah, she was a looker, man. Oh, my she God. Was... Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah, we're going to be speaking about Terry in another episode, but... Uh... She was, yeah, yeah. You, I, 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 now that well, you said so, it, I bet you it was. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I just it. flew yeah. in, did the favor. So a classic, classic Italian story. So you know, I do my act, everybody comes back, and here comes Tommy, like a bulldog, coming, like pushing people out of the way. Come here, you, I want to talk to you. <laughs> and I said, I, me? He said, yeah. <laughs> Who, me? He said, everybody get out of the room. That's what's the matter. He said, I saw you singing to my girlfriend, whispering her in her ear. <laughs> I said, Tommy, you're kidding me, right? He asked me to. He said, yeah, you, I saw you. I said, you told me to do that. <laughs> he said, well, I didn't mean you to sing that much to her. <laughs> oh, my I said, God. well, how am I supposed to know how much, Tommy? I know you how many years. I did what you told me to do. Now you come here and throw everybody out. Oh, I, you know, I'm really in love with that girl. And I, I thought you were trying to hit on her. I said, I'm, I'm on the next plane. I'm taking it. <laughs> oh, I'm my gosh, that's so funny. But it's, that, it's that, the mentality that, of these people. Are. That's a classic Italian story. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded uh, of something uh, uh, similar to that. How long these, uh, these, these Italian, these gangsters held a grudge. I mean, like forever. Somebody told me a story once. Uh, uh, Guys are in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a private club, you know, they're drinking everything. One guy says, oh, I got to go get some vegetables. My wife is going to be uh, cooking sauce tonight. And, uh, anybody want anything? So his best friend says to him, yeah, do me a favor. When, when you go down there, pick me up uh, a half a pound of tomatoes. So I says, okay, sure. So he's gone about uh, 20 minutes or so. He, he comes back. He's got, you know, he doesn't have anything. This guy says, Where's the groceries? So I just uh, I put it in my car. He says, "You got the tomatoes, right?" He said, "Oh man, I forgot the tomatoes. Gee, I'm sorry." So that's okay. They had a drink. Twenty years later, <laughs> they're in a club drinking and they're having a fight, and it's, it's always something stupid, sports or something. And the guy that never got his tomatoes said, "Yeah, I remember twenty years ago." And he starts cursing up a storm. He said, "This is for the fucking tomatoes." He takes out a gun. He kills his friend. Oh my goodness! Are you kidding me? No, I heard that from two separate people. That is amazing. That's well, I mean, I know I've seen does some it shock crazy you? things, but that's oh my goodness. That does that really surprise you? Well, not only surprises me, it's yeah. a disappointment because I, I thought Italians, I love Italians. <laughs> that sounds really stupid. <laughs> I know what booze, booze, and and and, and a head trigger temper. You know, oh, man. Uh, then of course I'm sure he he, he was sorry after he did well, it. Yeah, but, he, would he wake him up? <laughs> no. no, I mean it's. No, and again, you know, when you start to think, well, as you say, booze and drugs really screwed up a lot. Oh, particularly, a lot particularly coke. Yeah. Oh, coke got crazy. Oh man. Just, uh, but you know, it's it's. That's why I can't believe. You know, I've said it so many times. That one line, when they had the sit-down meeting in Godfather, and uh, all the families get together, and the old man got up. And he, and he started 
uh, I think it was Tessio was saying to him about no, he wouldn't share his politicians and, and his all his uh, political t yeah. ties and all that. And we have to get into the drug business. It's right. it's very lucrative. And he said, I'll agree with that only if we keep it with the blacks. Yeah. I can't believe they allowed that to be said. Yeah. Well, and they, they, they said, said keep yeah, it with the blacks, they're animals anyway. They're animals Ooh, anyway. Man. Or, or, or a paraphrase. But yeah. Pretty close to it. No, it's pretty know? close to that. Yeah. And when I, even when I, I mean, I wasn't part of that scene, yeah. but when I saw it in the movie theater, I'm saying to myself, they were worried about call. We were calling each other's guineas and wops. Right? How the hell did they, well, get, they get away with that? That's insane. And it was oh, funny didn't, because didn't, it was nope. right right around the Watts riots and everything else. Jeez. Well, at yeah. the time there was no power. You have power. Power is everything. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You know. I mean. It's so crazy. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, R.I.P. to the Westies. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's interesting. I didn't know they were they're totally annihilated themselves. Yes. Yeah. Every last one of them gone. I mean, you know, a couple of bu bunch of old Irishmen sitting around a, a bar talking tonight. Will reminisce right. about the way it used to be, but no, they're gone, and they're not getting out. Well, you know, because it's interesting. Because more, more to me, it's like eight eight years ago. Buddy Leahy, all these guys were very much in existence. In fact, I went to see Buddy in the hospital, he's a chain smoker, yeah. and uh, you know his son was close to also. His son was the president of the Iron Lath Union here, the Lathers Union. Yeah, I tell you, that's where the power lay. Whoever controlled the unions controlled the West Side, and these kids, I, know, I keep calling them kids, because a lot of them were, uh, controlled the unions. And they didn't go in with any kind of finesse like the Italians would. No. I mean, they they, they came in basically fist swinging and guns Baseball, blazing. And, and, yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 you deal with us or you die. Oh. I mean, and, and they, they were very believable. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying, that's why to see that, it's totally gone. In such a short period of time, because and you know it, you're right, and and in the scope of, of history, they lasted maybe twenty years. Wow, that's nothing, you know, because they were too wild, mm. and that's it. Megan, don't you don't you see what you miss growing up? Don't you miss this? <laughs> I know I missed out on so I many mean, great on, things. You know, it's a... you know what the funniest thing I've seen, <laughs> Pat. Yeah, both of us are sitting here. We're Italian. She's the only Irishman here. I am. I, I have zero Italian in me whatsoever. Uh, you know, Johnny. I think she's connected. But I'm saying, <laughs> with, with these Irish goons. Maybe she's you know. uh, they're creating a new Westies. We don't hey, know. We're, talk, you never we're know. talking about the Westies here. She's going to make a call, and you and I are in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> up in her campus, they got they got they got everybody beat up there. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it. it I, I, but again, to to see. Knowing how strong they were, that they're gone. It's like it's insane. Yeah, that is crazy. That's crazy. After all of this, my darling, that you've listened to forty-five mm -hmm. minutes of bantering <laughs> about your kin, a stroll down memory lane. What, what what's your outlook on re looking at this as a millennium? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. It's just so crazy. But well, in fact, you. I mean. You, you knew nothing about this. No, yeah, I did not know anything question. about the You didn't even know that this, these type of individuals existed. No, I wasn't. I had never heard of this group before. Your stories. Wow. No, the, I mean this. this so it's this definitely was the crazy. Group. In fact, uh, Mickey Rock, 
Mm-hmm. What did he do? Barfly? He did a couple of things about that. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a good movie with, uh, I forget who was in it, about the Westies. They didn't call them the Westies because they filmed it when the Westies were still in power, so they called it the gang something else. Right. I forgot the name of it. I'll probably remember 3 o'clock in the morning. I'll give you guys a call. I'll wake you up. <laughs> Quick but, update. But, which is the one that Mickey Rock did? He got a critical acclaim for it, too. It was all about that. Uh, the, well, he did the Pope of Greenwich Village, I was, but that was about Italians. Yeah, no, no. But yeah. I think he did Barfly. Wasn't that about the... He, uh, he, he got it, the I, Irish drawl down and all that. I, I was very close to Mickey for a long time. Mm. But uh, he got a lot of acclaim for doing it and, and portraying them the way he did. But, um, well, I think we exhausted the Westies. <laughs> and I think it's maybe time for us to say good night to all our wonderful listeners. Yes. And please don't forget to subscribe. And please pass the word. We, we want to stay on. I mean, we're going to stay on anyway, but yeah, we want audiences. We can talk to ourselves and have a good time. Yeah, we yeah, want to do that. You know, it's, and, and now that I know that Pats in the seventies too. That's what old men do. They sit around on a, on a rocking chair and tell stories. <laughs> well, we want to share them with you. So please tell your friends. Thank you for listening. And um, see you next every week. Wednesday there's a new show right. up. So God bless you all. Thank you. Okay. Good night, Johnny. Good night, Megan. Good night, guys. Good night, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Email Gianni Russo with your questions, comments, and for information regarding his motivational speaking appearances to Gianni at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. Email Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments to Patrick at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and visit Amazon.com for a listing of books he has written. I'm Megan Horan. I can be emailed at Megan at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and would enjoy hearing from you. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. But most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails. Good night.